he's ministered with us for now 10 years. It's 2011 when you came first time. Isn't that something? And um, Brother Benny's got a very prophetic gifting, and he's been a really a great blessing to me personally, to my whole family, and to a river of life he really has. And God's used him to, uh, he's a powerful preacher. I think you guys will be really blessed. But he's also uh, had just some really powerful words from the Lord that only God could have known. I mean, he's come in and shared things with me that really helped us. And it was just really powerful. And so he's been a tremendous blessing. And I think you guys are going to be really blessed tonight. But as you come, Brother Benny, would you do me a favor and tell that angel story? And then just then go into your sermon tonight for them. The one about the, well, I don't want to ruin the story. So hold on just a second. How many knows it's good whenever he says, which one? Oh, hold on. Amen. Amen. Slip your hands up. Slip your hands up and just tell Jesus you love him. Lord, we just love you so much. Lord, we just glorify you. We praise you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just honor you. We thank you for being in this house in such a powerful way. Lord, we don't take this moment lightly, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the lives that will be changed, the hearts that will be changed. We thank you for accurate, detailed words of knowledge. We thank you for healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. We love you, and we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Man, what an honor to be here. What an awesome crowd for the very first night. Amen. Amen. So I um, believe God's going to do something very special the next few days. I'm excited to be here. Um, Pastor uh, Scott and Sandy are two of my favorite people on this planet. And uh, we appreciate them and love their hearts. So can you just put your hands together and thank God for them, the gift of this house. Amen. I know you know this, but we're not praising the man. We're thanking God for the gift. Amen. And the Bible tells us to honor the gift. Amen. And so uh, I'm really excited about what I have to share with you tonight. So um, I've got a, if you'll turn with me, I'm, I'm going to tell my story in just a second, but the story I'm going to share is going to be very relevant to what I preach tonight. Amen. And so if you'll turn with me to Luke 13, and uh, I'm going to read there. But I'm going to read this first scripture from Acts chapter 2, verse 17, and also from Joel 2, 28. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And I was listening to the pastor talk about 95, and 19, uh, 1992 is when this spirit woke up in my heart. And it says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And, uh, you know, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know how many years this is later you know, 30 years later, God's still pouring out. And I was, I was birthed in revival. My wife and I met on the corner of Stockwell Road and US 52 in Lafayette, Indiana. The church that we went to had been in revival for about three weeks. My, my mom had called me. I was at, I was at work. Um, it's a Tuesday night. I was at work, a little job, a little gas station. I was 19 years old, getting ready to graduate high school. And my mom said, well, we're going to church tonight. And I said, that's great. I hope you guys have a great time. Because I'm not going to church. You know, I had a date. And I was going on this date, you know. And she said, no, we're going to church. And I said, that's great, you know. And you need to understand my mom, when she was adamant about I was going to do something, there was no arguing. So I went, you know, and it, it wrecked me. I, you know, the devil really didn't want me to go that night. Because it changed me forever. I, I felt the call of God very early on. In my life, but but in in uh, September of 1992, man, it just it just wrecked me, you know. God, it ruined me. It ruined church for me. It really did, because once you really experience revival, you can never go back to just going in and having some prayers and stand up, sit down, and go home. You can never do it again, you know. Here we are, 30 years later, and it's the same. My wife and I last year. We celebrated 25 years of full-time ministry. This is the only career I've ever had. I've not, I've not done anything else. Man, when, when God lit me up, man, he lit me up. And uh, from then till now, I've been on fire. The, the evangelist that was there, my wife, and those of you who don't know her testimony, the doctors told her she was unable to have children. 
when my wife and I met at this meeting, it turned into an eight-week revival in 1992. People came from all over the region. A church of about 10 people exploded into a church of 250 to 260, sometimes 300 people just in eight weeks. And um, they've been praying and believing for a revival. You know, they've been asking God to do something. But when my wife came in, she was 24 hours from a dialysis machine. She'd been in the hospital, and her kidneys were shutting down, and they were putting her on dialysis in 24 hours. They, she was told she'd never have children, told she'd never be able to have kids. My wife walked in the building that night, and the evangelist just pointed at her and said, Ma'am, God wants you to know that you'll never have to touch a dialysis machine. He said, and as far as what the devil's lied to you about children, you're, you're going to have children, and God will bless you someday. Of course, I'm sitting there not knowing any of this, you know, not knowing this would be the lady I would someday marry. Well, today, we have three children. Amen. Beautiful kids. My, mom, my wife had perfect childbirthing. You know, she had no issues. You know, in fact, we, we believe that when we pray for people to have children, God blesses that and honors that because of what we went through. But um, she never went on a dialysis machine. Her mom told her, made a deal with her. She checked herself out of the hospital, you know. You know, what she did was she unplugged herself from all the stuff they had on her arms and, and all the stuff, and she went home, and her mom came and got her and made a deal with her and said, you either go back in the hospital or you go to, the, you go to church with me tonight. Well, we both ended up landing at that little church there, and God healed her that night and wrecked her. The evangelist that was there, he's been a great inspiration to me. In fact, when we pastored for 15 years in Waterloo, Iowa, and the, uh, the church that we were at, we actually, you know, I guess, you know, I don't know how, 15 years later, brought the same evangelist in for a revival. He became a mentor in my life and a friend of mine for many years. And, and he, uh, this, this, uh, this precious man was out preaching, doing just what I do right now, traveling all over America. And he started getting sick and having some physical problems. And, and uh, I guess the only thing I can say, he never went to a doctor over this, but he must have had a stroke. And uh, the right side of his body was paralyzed. And he would, when he would get up in the pulpit, he would bleed from his nose. Just blood would just drip down his nose while he was preaching. And, uh, you know, everybody said you need to go to the doctor. And Now, there's nothing wrong with Understand what I'm saying. I believe God uses doctors, okay? But sometimes there's a point where you just got to stand and say, God, you got to heal me. And that's where he was. I've been there myself. But he said, God, you got to heal me. So for, for weeks, week in, week out, he would get up. Full schedule, uh, traveling all over America preaching. This is during the 80s. And, and he would get up and they would shove his hand in his hip pocket. And he would preach and he would have a little towel that he would dab his nose to try to keep it from getting on his suits while he preached. And so after weeks of this, many people were healed while, he was, while this was going on in his life. Many people were touched. But, but this precious, uh, precious man's up preaching one night and God speaks to him and says, Tomorrow night, I'm going to heal you. And so he got all excited, you know, and thought, God, how are you going to do it, you know? I'm going to come into service, and he's going he's gonna to touch me. It's going to happen during the, you know, you, know, you know how our mind works, right? Oh, yeah. So the next day he came in, and he was, uh, he was praying and believing God. And he told his wife. His wife had to shut down her schedule and come travel with him just to help him get dressed and help him eat and brush his teeth, you know. It, just, it, was, it was such a humbling moment for him. He said all day long he prayed and sought God, believing for that healing to come. He said he took the pulpit like he had every other night. He said, I questioned God many times. I don't understand why others are getting healed, and I'm not. But you know what? God, God has a way, right? He said that he went through and he preached the whole message, and nothing happened. They had an altar call, and nothing happened. And what, he said, while I was closing the service, he said all of a sudden a wind of the Holy Ghost began to blow in the sanctuary. <laughs> he said the back doors on the church blew wide open. He said, and all of a sudden, it's just like something was orchestrating the service. And he said, two pews in the back of the church flipped over. He said, all of a sudden, from the back of the building to the front, people began to fall out under the power of the Holy Ghost. All of a sudden, he said, something stood right in front of him. He said, he felt the presence of God like he's never felt in his life. And he said, all of a sudden, something hit him in the chest. He said, I went up in the air. This is a big fellow. In fact, significantly heavier than myself. He said, I went up in the air and landed in the choir loft. And he laid in the choir loft for over, over 30 minutes. 
And he said, while the Holy Ghost just moved through the place, people being touched, and, you know, you can hear the sounds of revival and people crying out and the power of God moving. He said, all of a sudden, he had the strength to get up. And he got up, and and for, for weeks, he could not move that right arm. But when he stood to his feet, the first thing he did, Pastor, was throw up his hands and lifted that arm up over his head, completely healed by the power of the Holy Ghost. He said, when I got to the hotel room that night, he said, I remembered the words when God said, I'm going to touch you. I'm going to heal you. He said, I took off my shirt in front of the mirror, and he said, there was a big red handprint all across my chest. He said, not the size of a human hand. It was something, something much larger than that. And God once again said, son, I said, when I was going to touch you, I was going to touch you. Amen. So, man, you know, that, that's, there, there are so many benefits to revival. And, and uh, you know, revival has not, the season of revival has not bypassed the church. Now, I know right now, revival is, it has been a little bit different. We had three months of revival breakout last year, last summer, in northwest Arkansas. Had a church, in fact, it's a River of Life church, Pastor. I'm going to be preaching there next Sunday. And uh, uh, it, it seems to fall that way every year somehow. I'm with you and I'm with them at the same time frame. But uh, we had three months of revival breakout. We, we started off with a handful of people on Sunday morning. And uh, something was happening. Sunday night was just the night. And the place would be standing room only on Sunday nights. The power of God was just moving. A man, revival was moving. People were being healed and delivered and set free. I, I still believe in revival. Revival has not bypassed the church. And God has not moved past revival. I know people will say, well, God's not using revival anymore. Yes, he is. He's just looking for hungry people that are participating in it. People have asked me, they've said, why did we have revival and move of God like we had in the 80s and the 90s and and even the early 2000s? What's the difference? Can I tell you the difference? The difference is Netflix and uh, Amazon Prime. And we have access to things now that we didn't have access then. You know, and so people are much busier than what they were then. But I think in the midst of all of that, God's getting ready to shut us all down and tell us, I'm going to bring your focus back to me. I know that. I know that the pandemic, everybody said God was using it to refocus. I have been to churches all over the country that their congregation has been cut in half during this time. And my heart hurts. And you know, and I know we're crying, God, give us more. And, and God, do what you got to do. In the midst of that, what God wants is people to get hungry because you can't stop a hungry person the bible talks about the deer that panteth for the water right see the reason that he's going after it nothing can stop him and see when you really get hungry for god there is nothing that can stop you there is no addiction there is no desire there is no self-will anything if you want to get to it man you're gonna push through the thing about hunger is it does not feel good but it'll get you to what you need It might hurt just for a minute, but it's going to get you to where it needs. And the Bible says, and, and God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And the Bible says that his, the young men will have visions and the old men will dream dreams. And uh, I think we are at the place in the church where God is getting ready to do what he did in the olden days. And he's going to start dropping visions and dreams in the people of the church again. You know, it wasn't, wasn't very far from where we're sitting right now that a woman evangelist at the turn of the 19th century, Mary Woodward Eddard, was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while she preached, farmers from all over the area that really close to where we are right now would fall out under the power of God and wake up and wander into a revival service. One of those services now, I, I believe there's the Dallas Morning Sun, Sun, still a paper that's around here. You know, I I, I don't know, but but in the day, the Dallas Morning Sun recorded a woman froze in place for seven days. While she was preaching, the power of God fell on her, and all of a sudden in place, she just froze with her hand in the air. For seven days, she didn't move. The, the paper came out. They recorded it, took pictures of her. They said the only thing, the only response that she would make is she would just cry. And all of a sudden, on a Sunday night, in the middle of this, she's picked up in her message right where she left off. Friend, God is getting ready to get our attention. 
God's getting ready to find hungry people and he's going to get our attention. And the Bible says that that, that, that young men are going to have vision and old men are going to dream dreams. I think we're going to go back to the place where people's going to be driving by the church and all of a sudden they're going to feel a hunger rise up inside of them and they're going to say there's something in there that I need. There's something about this place, these people. Listen, that's why it's important. Listen, I, I don't mean to, I don't want to, I don't want to get on my soapbox tonight, but you know, this seeker sensitive user friendly thing, I, I understand, but I want to be Holy Ghost seeker. And I want to be Holy Ghost friendly. You know, I've been real hard on these, you know, that I've been to churches and I've seen it happen and it grieves me. You know, we uh we preach in living rooms and we go to churches that you can't see the back of the auditorium. And uh, it, it doesn't matter to me. I just want to go where the Holy Ghost leads me. But I've watched as people have shut down the Holy Ghost while he starts to move. And somewhere along the way, somebody got this idea. Let's get this room. And if people start acting out or want to have the Holy Ghost, they can go put them in a room so it just don't disrupt anybody. Friend, we need some disruptions. We sure enough need some Holy Ghost disruptions. We need some men and women of God to rise up for such a time as this and begin to declare, God, if you want to interrupt me right now, interrupt me right now. God, if you want to take this service over, take this service over. But we are about to experience the glory of God like we have never seen. We've seen God do some awesome things, but God is just, I can see the, I can see the Lord just, you know, kind of rubbing his hands together, saying, I'm really getting ready to move for my church. But I, I've been hard on these rooms, Pastor. You know, I have, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I kind of felt checked a little bit about it. Because I think them rooms might be a good idea after all. But I think what we need to do is get all the folks that don't want to move of the Holy Ghost and put them in some room. Come on now. That's, that's what we need to do. And I, I've, I've been telling the Lord, I said, Lord, if there are some people that don't want to move with the Holy Ghost, that's between you and them. But send us the people that do. Send us the hungry people that have set aside their lives, that are willing to pay a price to do whatever is necessary to have a move of God operating in their lives. I'm, I'm here to tell you, we're getting ready to experience revival. I think there is a move of God that's coming that's going to empty, empty out hospitals. I believe that. I was, uh, I was in, I was in uh, Fort Smith, night, uh, 2016. Pastor, 2016, Lord spoke to me about places revival was going to hit. And I know Kansas City has had pockets of revival, but the Lord told me God was getting ready to just hammer Kansas City. 2016, I believe that. I, I do with everything in me. I was, um, I was sitting at my desk, and I got a phone call. And, uh, somebody from the church was in the hospital, and they said, Will you go up and see Adam? And so I said, yeah, you know, where's he at? He says, oh, he's over in Sparks Hospital over, uh, over off of Zero Street, so off, off Towson. So I got in, uh, my wife and I, 3 o'clock, hopped in the car. We just went over to meet with this young man. And uh, when we got out of the car, there was this old boy standing out in front of the hospital. He was uh, a pretty hefty guy, you know. He was hooked up to a machine, and he was smoking a cigarette in front of the hospital. None of this worked. First of all, the breakthroughs that they've got in medicine, this guy, you know, he looks like he weighs about 325, but this, the, he had on a house coat, a uh, hospital gown that looked like it fit a third grader. And so he's aware of this, so he's holding the back of it, you know, smoking a cigarette, holding up this machine, you know. And I'm thankful he's holding the back of it, you know. And so I step out of my car and he eyeballs me. Of all the people in the parking lot, we're talking gobs of people, Miss Karen, he looks at me. And so, you know, I leaned over, I said, is he watching me? My wife said, he is. And, uh, and I said, uh, do we know him? And she says, no, I don't think so, Benny. You know, maybe he's seen you on TV or, you know, maybe he's been in one of your meetings. Anything's possible. And so he watches me, eyeballs me all the way up to the hospital door. I walk up. There he stands, smoking a cigarette, holding his little uh, gown in the back, and he looks at me and goes, and I nodded back and thought that was the end of it. And I thought, well, you know, I can go, do, I can go see Adam and you know, get about the rest of my day. Now I'm going down the hallway. They tell me Adam's on the third floor, give me the room number. So I'm walking down the hallway, head to the elevator, and all of a sudden I hear that little machine clanking behind me. Clank, clank, clank. And I turned around. 
says, he follows us? My wife said, Vinny, I think he is now. Now, I know some of you want to jump on the guy and get him baptized with the Holy Ghost and, and you know, give him money and float him up to heaven. This ain't my first rodeo. Sometimes these people want to help. Sometimes they want to hinder. I, and, and, you know, me and God talk about this stuff. I'm like, God, can't you talk to me about this stuff ahead of time? Don't just throw me in, the, in there with the wolves and let me fight it out by myself. And I'm, I know God's laughing, you know, but so God's not said anything to me. And so I sped up. We started walking faster, and I hear clank, 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 clank. He, he's, he's like almost a, this big boy was a full sprint down the hospital hallway. I'm thinking if I can get to the elevator, I'll be all right. And so, uh, man, I'm, I'm pumping on that elevator button, and the doors open up, and I'm cranking that three. Because you know as many times as you hit it, the faster it goes up and down, and then doors shut, right? So all of a sudden, there are those doors. They go shutting just about like this. And all of a sudden, a little chubby arm comes through. That door opens up. And this man, there he is, standing there. He comes walking in, dragging his little machine. And he, you, you know, there is a proper etiquette for getting on an elevator. You walk on that elevator, you turn around. You don't talk to nobody. Well, considering his, his little hospital gown situation, I was glad he didn't turn around. You know, I'm standing there covering my wife's eyes, you know. And um, truthfully, he walks over. He stands toe-to-toe with me, points his finger in my face and says, I called for a preacher, and he wouldn't come. And I'm I'm flabbergasted. You know, I have no idea what he's talking about. Man, for there for a second, this guy that I've had all these crazy thoughts about starts schooling me. And I said, uh, well, I'm a preacher. <laughs> and he said, I'll never forget this. Pastor, I'll never in my life, I'll never forget this. He said, can you get me to an altar? And then he looks at me, and he said the same three things over and over again. He says, only God can give a man a new heart. And so uh, now God decides to start talking to me. So we're on our way up. I said, I said, what's your name? He said, my name's James. I said, James, what room are you in? He's on the third floor. And I said, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I've got to go, got to meet with a friend. I said, he's sick in the hospital, been there all day, got a lot going on. I said, I want to come by and talk to you afterwards. That'd be all right. Yes, sir. And he looks at me again and says, only God can give a man a new heart. And so, man, Adam is so far from me right now, it's unreal. You know, I'm no longer thinking about Adam at all. And, I'm, and I go over and I go to Adam's room. Adam's not there. I go to the front desk and said, where's the act? I said, sir, he checked out hours ago. And then God gets real chatty, and he said, Benny, it's because Adam was never your assignment. James is your assignment. I go walk around the corner, and there James is. Now God's talked to me. Now I know what's going on. James is sitting on the side of the bed, and, and the Lord spoke to me. He, he was going into heart surgery, and uh, he was scared he would die. And he said, because only God could give a man a new heart. They couldn't fix his heart. He was convinced of this. But it, somewhere in his head, he thought, if I could get to an altar, I'd be okay. So I, I'm starting to understand what's going on. I walk in that room. When I did, he points at me again and says, Preacher, can you get me to an altar? He said, I've called all day. I can't get anybody to come see me. He wasn't from the area. He was from Fayetteville, an hour, hour and a half away. He said, I couldn't get anybody to come and talk to me, visit with me. And here I come walking in. And he said, can you get me to an altar? And I said, James... I said, we don't need to get you to an altar. We can make an altar right that, right here, right now. He grabbed me by the arm, drug me down to the side of that bed, and we prayed the sinner's prayer, and I led James to Jesus that day. And when we were done, you know, this man knows, I don't know, he must have been to Sunday school or something. He had enough God in him to know he didn't want to die that day without being at an altar. You know what I'm saying? Because he was convinced he was going to die. I said, so what's going on with your heart? And he said, they want to do heart surgery on me. All this is going on. And he said, but only God can give a man a new heart. And I said, James, you're right. God just gave you a brand new heart. He said that old heart, he knew nothing about God. I mean, this is the kind of people you want to get saved, you know. He knows nothing about anything. And so I said, not only can God give you that new spiritual heart, but he can take his heavenly hand and put a brand new heart in that chest today too. 
And he said, do you really believe that? And I said, I believe that's why God sent me here today was to tell you this very thing. And so I prayed and I spoke healing over this young man's life. And over the next few minutes, we just talked. I gave him my phone number. I said, what are they telling you about surgery? He said, well, they wanted to operate on me today. But I told them they couldn't operate on me until I talked to a preacher. (laughs) He said, so now I'm going to tell them to do whatever they feel like they need to do. And I said, Get, here's my phone number. Keep me posted. Let me know what's going on. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking I'll go up and I'll be with him tomorrow. I'll sit with him, pray with him, whatever he needs. And so the next day, I'm sitting at my desk, and I get a call, and it's James. He said, Brother Biddy, guess where I am? I said, well, you're at the hospital. You getting ready to go in for surgery? He says, no, sir, I'm on the bus. I'm headed home to Fayetteville. I said, uh... I thought you was going into surgery today. He says, yeah, about that. Remember when you said God could give me a new heart? He said, they've been running tests on me all day. They don't believe I'm the same man. He said, today God gave me a new heart. He said, I'm going back home. I'm going to tell my mama. I'm going to tell my daddy. I'm going to tell all my brothers and sisters what Jesus did for me. And Jesus can do it for them. My God, I'm here to tell you, God's getting ready to open up the heart of the broken. And he's going to open up the eyes of the blind. And he's going to make the deaf. Woo! Make the deaf hear again. I was, it was 2016, September. I had, uh, I'd been through probably the roughest season of my life. I was at the River of Life in northwest Arkansas. I was sitting outside and, and just going through some personal things, some family things my, with my children. And, and the Lord spoke to me and said, said Son, tonight I'm going to do something for you. And I said, Lord, I want you to move. And you know, I said, Lord, you know what's going on in my life right now. You know the brokenness. And the Lord said, Yes. He said, But tonight I'm going to teach you something. And so that same moment, I got a phone call I'd been waiting on for a long time. You know, I always kind of sit outside the church and get the mind of God for that place, you know. And if God has something he needs to tell me for the people or the church or whatever, you know, I just, I'm at that moment, you know, I mean, I always pray, but at that moment, on the property, uh, on the side, I'm just like, God, right now I'm here. Just download to me whatever you need me to have for these people specifically. And so God does that. I go in that night, and I don't even remember the message that I preached. I don't even know if it was important. But there was this young man sitting in the back corner of the building. I went back to him, and I had, a, I had this crazy prophetic word for him. The man sitting in a wheelchair, and the Lord said, Tell him when he's ready that I'll let him get up out of that wheelchair. That's a tough prophetic word for a man who can't walk. But, you know, I'm, I'm one of those guys, <laughs> If God says it, and I know it's God, you know, I'm going to release it. Because it's not on me. It's now on God's. And so I went to that old boy, and I said, son, I said, God told me to tell you when you're ready, you get up out of that wheelchair. And I don't know what I was expecting, Pastor. I really don't. I don't know what, what I was expecting to happen. But all of a sudden, that old boy, Zach, he grabbed that brake on the right side, and he shut that brake down. And they grabbed that brake on the left side and he shut that brake down. All of a sudden, with trembling hands, he started pushing on that wheelchair. And all of a sudden, he got up out of that wheelchair and started walking around that old church completely healed by the power of the Holy Ghost. In that moment, God spoke to me. I'd been, I'd been off, I'd been off, we'd been gone from our pastorate for about a year. I, I honestly, I'll just be real with you. It almost killed me. We didn't leave a pastorate because we were mad. We weren't broken. We were together. We had built a church for 15 years. We'd seen God do some awesome things, but God was speaking to me. It was time to transition. As that young man was walking around that building healed, the impact that it had on him was awesome. But pastor, his wife, I watched as his wife began to cry out, this is what I've been asking God to do for my husband all these years, and here he is at the right place at the right time. And I remember I, 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 I'm standing there, and of course, you know, you know, about that time, you feel like you could run through hell with a squirt gun. I've left services that I felt like the devil beat me up. I, I've been there. The man this night wasn't one of those nights. I, 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 was, I was so high that night. You know, I mean, we could have walked on water that night if we'd have had a baptismal. Come on, somebody. And I, uh, I'm standing there. The Lord spoke to my heart. And he says, son, was your transition hard? I said, this was the hardest transition of my life. He said, but if you'd have stayed where you were, that man would have never got up out of that wheelchair in your service. See, some of us, we've got to recognize the only evidence of life is change. Change. 
And in order for us to grow, sometimes we outgrow and we have to let go. But I want you to know it is in those moments that God opens up the greatest miracles we have ever seen. From then till now, we have seen the greatest miracles our ministry has ever seen because we have decided, God, I'm going after you with everything I've got. God, I'm gonna, I'm laying my agenda down. It's not my agenda. It's your agenda. We're yielded to you. Let me, let me read to you from this passage of Scripture tonight from, uh, from Luke chapter 13 in verse 10. Now, this is Jesus that we're going to be talking about, Luke 13 and verse 10. And it says that he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And, be, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no likewise lift up herself. Somebody help me remember what verse I'm on. I'm on, I'm going to start reading again in verse 12. Okay, so the Bible says, first of all, Jesus identified her problem as a spiritual problem. We, we do conferences, we write books, we, we, we have years of sermons that we will preach on these things, but Jesus identified it as a spiritual problem. The church is trying to counsel devils. Day in and day out, if we get them enough, if we get them enough class time, they'll get set free. If we get them enough, get them to church enough. I believe that all of those things are important. Don't get me wrong. But there comes a point in time that we got to do what Jesus did. We got to look at somebody and we got to identify that there is a spirit that is behind them and we got to go to the root of the problem and we got to get them set free and got to get them delivered. And I know people like to say, well, I pray and I fast, I read my Bible. But some of those people have never taught that they needed to be set free. We need to be the generations that start letting the church know there are people sitting in pews right now on Sunday morning. Maybe they've never taken a drink of alcohol in their life. They wouldn't smoke a cigarette if their life depended on it. But their tongue is killing people left and right, and they don't care because it's not one of those kinds of sin. Friend, we need some people that will set those folks free we got more going on up here between our ears than we got going on in this world and we need some people that will help us get our mind free Jesus said I recognize you have a spiritual problem but I have come to set you free this should be the cry of the church. We recognize you have a spiritual problem and we are coming to set you free I mean you know they don't teach this stuff in seminary. I remember when we, were, we first went to Waterloo. And, uh, you know, our church, man, you know, we, had, we, we were on fire. We had revival. And we seen some crazy stuff. But I remember the first time I had somebody come in the church. Some of you understand what I'm about to say, Pastor. Pastor Scott, I, I'm, I taught a class on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And on the Tuesday night class, this young man comes walking in. And he looks at me and he said, Pastor, I need prayer. And when he looked at me, he had a, he closed his eyes and blinked, but he had another set of eyes that you could see, I mean, as vivid as I'm looking at any one of you right now. Now, once again, they never told me about any of this in Bible college. Never mentioned this at all. Nobody pulled me aside and said, there will come a day when you're teaching a class. And this old boy's going to come in and, and try to, Try to stir stuff up. And so uh, I grabbed, uh, you know, we were a new church. I mean, a new church. So my elders, you know, they were, they were six months clean. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, they, they're, they're, they were from the south side of heaven. <laughs> you know, if I, if I needed somebody to get beat up, they could help me out. But as far as getting somebody set free, they, they really didn't know how to help me, Okay. And so I, I got, got a couple guys, and, and we drew a quick crowd. Went to the sanctuary. We drew a quick crowd. But I said, uh, listen, if you're not full of the Holy Ghost, this might not be the place for you. And as quick as we had a crowd, we lost them all. And it's me and this one brother, you know. And all of a sudden, this guy, and I won't go into great details of everything that happened, but this guy starts acting out, cursing and spitting and snarling, acting out. And uh, I started praying, and again, you know, you know, I, I know, man, I've read books on deliverance, and I've prayed, but you know, I've learned it's the prayer 
that's right for that moment. You know, that's really what healing is the same thing as that moment. And so that moment that I was in, you know, I, I mean, we, we, we physically had to wrestle this guy. And uh, all of a sudden, I mean, something broke. And I, I, I'm not trying to give any glory to the enemy or the kingdom of hell. You understand this. But this guy had lifted about six inches off the ground. And uh, as we're praying, all of a sudden, Pastor, he dropped. And I thought, all right, God. I said, I know this man's trying to be, try, trying to get deliverance. I know he wants it. I said, Lord, we got to have, I, I got to know something. You got to let me know. Because, you know, once again, you know, I'm, I'm, this is all new to me at this moment. And so, uh, as I'm praying, I'm seeking God. All of a sudden, that old boy starts singing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We're talking about how sweet the name of Jesus was. And in that moment, I knew that man had set, been set free. Now, I know that this man had some psychological issues. But this man did not need counseling. He needed deliverance. He needed deliverance. Famous preacher, can't tell you, wouldn't, wouldn't name his name, but this, this precious man fell from grace. I mean, fell hard, fell publicly on a national level. And a friend of mine called him and said, called him by name and said, son, what you need is delivered. And he said, nobody prays more than me. Nobody seeks God like I do. Can you hear the arrogance that started rising up? Nobody's done what I've done for the kingdom of God. And my friend said, son, that's why I know you need delivered. Sometimes it is a spiritual problem. And we got to quit trying to fix spiritual problems at a natural level. I know I'm talking to the crowd, the choir today, but at the same time, there's somebody that's got to get a hold of this word. And Jesus himself looked at her and said, it is a spirit of infirmity. I know in my family, my, my, uh, my mom, I don't remember a day in her life her being healthy. I don't ever remember a time where she, she was in good health. Uh, my, my, my wife's family, very similar situation. It was always something. My mom died at 62. I had a brother die at 52. I had another sister walk through her threshold of her house, 59 years old, and passed away. The enemy wanted to make me think that that was my future. But see, I don't live like that. I recognize that is a spirit of infirmity. And it's not welcome in my house. It's not welcome in my world. Listen, our family was riddled with divorce. My wife and I celebrate 27 years of marriage this year. And I want you to know we have the best years of my life. Uh, my family, my father was married five, six times. My mom the same. My brothers and sisters. But we broke that thing. We broke that bondage in our life. And somebody said, well, but you know, I'm following the same patterns. It's time to break them. It's time to rise up and say, I don't, and I'm not bringing condemnation to people. I just want you to know, some people think to themselves, this is the only way. But I'm here to tell you, friend, that there is another way. And we can break those things off of our lives if we pray and we seek God. The Bible says that Jesus, he recognized this is a spiritual problem. And the Bible said that she was bowed over. She was, you ever, you've probably seen somebody like this, right? Seen somebody who they were, they were bent over. I remember we had a precious little lady who lived in our neighborhood. And she put, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in Meridian, Mississippi, and we called her Granny. She came and picked up the trash at a little grocery store my mom worked at. Pastor, uh, Granny pushed this little shopping cart everywhere because she was so hunched over. She had to have been 90, 95 years old, you know. If she wasn't, she, she sure seemed to be, you know. But she, uh, she spent her whole life hunched over. Had to have been the same thing. And we can go through and we can diagnose this, but Jesus diagnosed it. He said it's a spiritual problem. He said we can, we can give her vitamins, we can give her all this stuff, and those, nothing wrong with those things, but she's got a spiritual problem, and she's been over. And the problem with things like this is you get so accustomed to your condition, you don't ever want to change it. Because you get used to looking at the ground. It becomes comfortable to you. 
You no longer make eye contact with people. You think the, pro- the problem is mine. It's all my fault. It's the way I was raised. It was what I went through. I was abused as a child. I was an abuser. I deserve this. This is my fault. I've, I've made my own bed. Now I'm going to lie in. I want you to know Jesus didn't look at her and tell her any of that. Jesus looked at her and let her know that she too was a daughter of Abraham. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. I'm, I'm going to buzz through this just for a minute because for the sake of time tonight. But I want you to think about this for a moment. This moment, she comes in. She makes this interest. Jesus identifies it as a spiritual problem. She's bowed over looking at the ground. And I want you to just think for a moment. As she made her eyes and her back straight, the first thing she saw was Jesus. Man, I tell you what. After years of being bowed over and looking at the ground, can you imagine the first thing you get to see is Jesus himself? Woo, come on, somebody. Uh, It's like somebody who, who they go into eternity blind. And you know they're going to heaven, but you know when they open their eyes in eternity, they're going to see the Lord. Come on, somebody. Friend, I want you to know there's some power in the fact of knowing I don't have to stay this way. It's not your fault. Somebody said, I'm paying a price. Jesus paid your price at Calvary. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at her. The Bible says in, where are we at? Verse, Verse 12. And Jesus saw her and called her and said, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. He laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Immediately. Immediately, didn't take 10 years. She didn't have to do seven Jericho marches. For seven years, immediately she was healed. I believe in God's immediately and suddenlies. You know, God gave me a message a few years ago called now. I believe in the power of now. Because when you got a kid that's sick and the doctor's saying they can't do anything, you need God to move right now. When you've got a child that's hooked on drugs, you need them delivered, you need God to move right now. When you need a miracle in your ministry, you need God to move right now. 2001, right after, uh, right after we had this, this revival, when we, when we moved to Waterloo, Iowa, we lived in the basement of the church. Now, we didn't have nice quarters. We didn't have like a, a living room and, and a bathroom. You know, we didn't have those great luxuries. We had the community bathrooms that we used. We had a boiler, a big old boiler. We, we were in the Midwest, so, you know, it was those winters there in, in Iowa. This, this, this is just a, almost Minnesota. Those are hard winters. So we literally had a water hose thrown over a pipe, and that's how we took showers. We were glad we had it. Our living room was a, was a youth room, and then the kids had a bedroom. It was the gospel garden, the, the children's ministry room. That's where we lived for the first six months. That first six months, man, we had revival breakout. People got healed, saved, delivered, set free. I'd come downstairs after the service, uh, and people would be wandering around our living room. <laughs> just, how, just how it worked out. We weren't bitter or mad or anything. God started blessing us. The church started growing. We, uh, I'd tell, the, tell more revival story about that for another time, but we went, and when we took the church, the church, you know, there was no people, there was no money. Our first offering was $77. We started the church, $77. Our mortgage was $1,500 a month. Our first electric and gas bill, Mid-American Energy, was electric and gas, both put together. Electric and gas, our first bill was $2,000. Man, I didn't have the faith for that. I didn't. I just, I was scared, you know. And so uh, God, God worked it all out for us. When we took the church, we had a mortgage and, and uh, some stuff was going on. The church had a side note that we knew something about, but we weren't quite clear on it. So they come to us, and be, I guess they thought since we started growing that, you know, we had money now. You know, you know and God was blessing us, but, you know, you know how it is. We uh, really had not got to a place where we were really, we weren't rocking and rolling, I guess we'll just say. We were just treading water. We had a lot of new Christians came in that didn't know anything about tithing, nothing about giving, and we were teaching, you know? And so they contacted us, Pastor, and they told us, they said, listen, you owe us $80,000, and we want that money by the end of the month. We went to the bank, 
We went to everybody we knew. Everybody told us no. Everybody. We needed a miracle right now. God didn't move for us. We were in trouble. We were about, did I mention we lived in the church? We were about to be churchless, homeless, jobless, all of it, all in, all in one shot. So here we are, man, we're, we're praying and believing, you know, nothing like a crisis to raise your faith level, right? And so here I am, we're praying and believing. There was a conference in Des Moines, Iowa that, we, um, that we've been invited to come and be a part of. And I, I told him, I said, I'm not going. I said, there's no way I can leave the church right now. I just don't feel good. We might come in and they've taken it from us while we were gone. So I uh, talked to some friends and they said, you know, really feel like you need to come. So, man, my wife and I, we took this big step of faith. We went, and, and uh, we're, standing at, we're standing in the back. And the last night, we'd been there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday night, I'm standing in the back. I remember what I had on. The minister looked at me. He says, son, I want you to come up here. And uh, I go walking up. And he says, the Lord says you are in the biggest battle of your life. But God's about to give you the biggest victory of your life. I had no idea, you know, didn't know anybody there, you know, to, and here I am in just one moment. In one moment, God gave me exactly what I was believing for. He gave it to me right now. So I, I go home. It's, it is now the 1st of November. It's the coldest day of the season. I mean, it's snowing and it's nasty out, and I get a call from these people, and they said, uh, Mr. Baker, do you have our money? And I said, guys, I told you, you know, we, we don't have access to $80,000. We just don't. They said, we either want the money or we want you out. We're coming to get it right now. And so they, I, I mean, we, we had contacted a lawyer to see if there was anything we could do to delay this. And the bank had told us no. We, I think we raised a little bit of money, but not near enough to deal with this. And so here we are. We're praying and believing. They showed up on the parking lot. The guy comes walking in the church. He says, we want our money or we want you gone. I'm, same, same story, you know. He walked out. See, now, at this point, I'm no longer nervous because God has talked to me. See, if God hadn't talked to me, I'd have been real upset. But God had already told me that I was getting ready to win this battle. So I, I wasn't concerned at all. I walked down the stairs back down to our living quarters. They pulled away. I wasn't gone five minutes. I heard somebody pound at that door again. I walked up there, and I opened that door. And that old boy come walking in. I'll never forget. He's shaking his head, got his hands in his pockets. He made this statement. He said, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to forgive you that debt. You don't owe us a dime. And just like that, God gave us an $80,000 miracle. <laughs> Friend, I've learned when you take care of God's business, God will take care of your business. Listen, right now, you might be fighting the biggest fight of your life, but I want you to know you are getting set up for the greatest victory you've ever had. If you're in a battle right now, my question is, have you won? Have you won? Have you won? Because it is not over. Not, there, there, is no, there is no ending until you stand with your hands in the air declaring, I win. That's when the battle is over. Somebody said, well, I've lost some fights. No, listen, you you just not done fighting yet. Because at the end of the day, you are going to win. The Bible, this woman had no choice. She had gotten in the presence of Jesus. The enemy don't care if you go to church. He don't care if you read your Bible, have morning devotions. He don't care if you read your Bible and pray over cookies and coffee. He don't care about any of that. But the moment you start having an encounter with Jesus... That's when hell will start getting shook up. That's when the enemy will start recognizing that you are a threat. In the presence of Jesus, she recognized who she was, and she straightened up. Now, I want you to know you'd think the church would celebrate that, right? You'd think they'd be happy, but the religious folk of that day got mad because she got healed. See, the thing I've learned about religion, religion will leave you where you are. But Jesus has come to get you out of your mess. Religion don't care if you're hurting or broken or lost or struggling. Leave you right where you are. But Jesus will set you free. Friend, I want you to know that I believe tonight God's stirring revival in your life. There is something about a personal revival. Something about a personal revival. Pastor, what was the first year that you had this conference? 
that you brought John Davis in, I think. So maybe 2015. It was was a little later than that for that I was thinking that I was here. So it must have been 17, maybe. It was at this conference. And I came in, and I think uh, I preached the Saturday night, the last service of the week. I'd come in early, and I'd listen to John Davis preach. I'd never met John Davis before. You know, of course, I love him and so appreciative of who he is in the kingdom, honoring. But I'd never, at this point, I'd never met him before. But he came in, and he was talking about revival. He got me so stirred up. It, 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 it just got me so stirred up. I went, and as my custom usually, you know, I'll drive home after an evening service. Doesn't matter if it's, I've driven from, I, I fly, I drive, I take buses, subways, whatever it takes, you know. I, but most of the time I like to drive. I have, left, I have left New York City and driven to my house overnight from New York City. It's just, just, it's just what we do, you know. But I had stayed at the hotel, Pastor, and on Sunday morning I got up and was by myself, and I was driving home. And I was so, if we put some music on, I think I'm all done preaching. Otherwise, I'll preach all night. You're so easy to preach to tonight. I was so stirred up, I called my wife, and I said, Babe, I said, i gotta, I got to make some changes. And she said, what do you mean? I wasn't in sin. I didn't feel like I fell short. Just, I wanted more. I just, I'm at a place where I've got to have more. I don't think we should ever lose that. We should never outgrow that. I've got to have more. My wife said, what are you going to do? We believe in prayer and fasting. I mean, we do it. It's part of our life. We, my wife and I just came off of a 30-day fast. It's part of our culture. So uh, I said, I'm going to come home. I'm going to wash my face with oil. This is on Sunday night. I said, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. Tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, I'm going to wash my face, anoint my head with oil. And I said, I'm going to shut myself in my room, and I'm not coming out until I've heard from God. I had three things I need God to talk to me about. I'm desperate. I had to hear God in these three things. In fact, it was the week my daughter graduated from high school. Because on Thursday, I didn't leave my room except to go to her graduation ceremony. Thursday night. And you know how, don't get mad at what I'm about to say, okay? Say, say, preacher, I love you. I'm looking to see who's, who didn't say it. So, watching, got my eye, got my eye. I, um, I know there are these people that fast and they float to heaven. And they talk about how they don't get hungry. And it's just such a glorious statement. I mean no disrespect, but I think those people are lying. (laughs) Don't get mad at me, because that's never been the case with me. Because it doesn't matter if I'm fasting one hour, 40 days, or 21 days. I've done all that. I am as hungry on day 40 as I was on day one. And he he mixed in between. So I, this is, I'm, I'm on this water fast. I'm taking nothing into my body but water. And, you know, after you get through day three, you know, I'm a coffee guy. So I, I man, you know, I, I, it's like a drug addict. You know, I mean, I'm sick. It's, it's horrible. You don't even want to know. And so I'm past that. I'm past that part of it. And so I get to day six. I go to church. I sit down. Nobody knows I'm doing this, just my wife and my kids. And my pastor's wife comes over to me. She points at me and she says, what are you fasting for? She, she knew. She was sensitive enough to know what I was doing. I said, I got three things I need God to move in right now. Um, I was ready. I was prepared to go 40 days if I had to. But I'm sitting there and unbeknownst to me, I am 24 hours from being done. And uh, that night, I, I had one of the greatest challenges of my life. It, it felt like I was hitting the head with a two-by-four. I just, I came under this attack pastor that was just crazy. And I struggled all night, all through the night. And then, the, you know, then the enemy starts lying to you. My mom had epileptic seizures at a certain point in her life. And the enemy started telling me that you, these are epileptic seizures, and you have to go to the hospital, and have to have these surgeries. And this is crazy how your mind will just, 
you know, but, but I know how to cover it with the blood. And so I'm praying, I've got people praying with me and believing with me. And I get through that day, and boy, that, that whole day was hard. Unbeknownst to me, three o'clock that afternoon, I'm going to fast until six. I don't know that yet, but I, I mean, I'm sick. At three o'clock, I'm praying, and I'm seeking God. Rosak, all of a sudden, God starts talking to me. And I'm in this place where I'm not quite asleep, but I'm not quite awake either. Have you ever been there? And God starts talking to you. And all three things, he gives me supernatural instructions. And answers all three of the questions that I needed answered. It was, it was so precise that one of them was... It's nothing, I'm not, wasn't like I was in trouble or anything, but I had a legal issue with someone else. And wasn't being sued or anything like that, okay? It's hard to explain. I can't go into detail about it. But they owed me a lot of money. A lot of money. And the Lord spoke to me and gave me the instruction on what to do about it. And he said, son, if you'll just let that go. And I, I wasn't suing or anything like that, so, you know, it's nothing like that. It's just... Something we were trying to work out. Lord said, if you'll just let that go. He says, I'll give you this not in a year, but in a month. And so I knew that was God. Within 24 hours, the people contacted me. And I had the opportunity to either pursue this and go on or make it a seed offering. So I chose to make it a seed offering. And so the biggest seed I'd ever sown in my life, but I knew it was God. And God answered all three things because I was hungry. Hunger will drive you to do things that you never thought you'd be able to do. Friend, if you, if you don't leave any, this conference with anything else, know that God is setting you up for miracles, signs, and wonders in your life, in your family, in your ministry, in your churches, in your walk. I heard a, well, the greatest message I ever heard was preached by a man named Tennyson Fitch. Lester Sumrall was his, uh, was his mentor. Lester, great man of God. I wish I could have really known him. I didn't live very far from him growing up. But he preached a message called How to Operate in God's Power Without Any Special Gifts, Talents, or Abilities. And what he preached was, if you pray and pursue God, it will it'll just level the playing field. You don't have to do or know anything else if you'll pray and read the Word of God. So tonight, I, it is my desire that hunger is so stirred up inside of you that God releases prophetic supernatural encounters into your life, your family, your ministry. That God so stirs you up that you lay hands on people in grocery stores and parking lots and you get so full of faith that you recognize that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Go ahead, stand up on your feet tonight. Slip up your little hands to the heavenlies. Pastor, it's okay. I'd like to minister for, to a few people before we pray for everybody. Is that all right? Slip up your little hands in the heavenlies. Lord, I just love you. Holy Ghost, I praise you. I magnify you, Jesus. I love you and I worship you. Come on, just pray in the Holy Ghost just for about... About a minute, if you have that heavenly language, just release that heavenly language right now. Lord, I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. Lord, I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. Lord, I magnify you, Lord. I praise you, God. Come on, press in, press in, press in, press in, press in, press in, press in. Lord, I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Lord. Lord, I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Father. Lord, I just love you, Lord. Now listen, as we pray for people individually, 
And I, now, please know I'm not going to try to miss anybody, but if I, if I don't pray for you, I can't promise I give everybody a prophetic word, but uh, I think as it is our custom, we pray for everybody here. And so we'll pray for everybody here. If God talks to me, gives me something for you, I'll release it to you. Um, but I know we like to listen, and, and we, we really get caught up in what's, what others are having spoke over them or, or how they're being prayed for. But if, you'll, you know, if you're listening, if you just continue to pray in the Holy Ghost, even if it's softly, but if you'll just continue to pray in the Holy Ghost, if you'll do that, I just want to make sure we create an atmosphere for the Holy Ghost to move in, okay? So if that's okay, let's just continue to worship the Lord just for a moment. Lord, I just love you, Jesus. Can I pray for the two of you? Would that be all right? First of all, I want you to know Jesus loves you so much. And uh, I see where you have, the both of you have been a help. I see help written over you. Just almost anything that needed to be 